Um, so we're going to continue this evening with the thread that we've been uh, exploring this week in practice, the thread of the factors of awakening that we've been looking at and practicing with and recognizing. <clears throat> and we started really now a number of days ago by looking at sati, which is often translated as mindfulness or awareness. And then from sati we looked at the quality of investigation which arises in a very natural way as we're exploring and discovering what's true, what's reality, what's here. <clears throat> and then from from uh, investigation, we started to look at the energy that appears or that arises and becomes part of practice, becomes part of what's happening now, meaning the consciousness that is discovering what's happening now. <clears throat> and then we move to the joy that comes or the kind of happiness that comes with practice, with being here. <clears throat> and then also talked about not just the happiness, but the tranquility or the stability or the calmness that is also part of what begins to arise or appear as the factors begin to reveal themselves and display their unity of being present here together. And so uh, we'll continue, I'll attempt to continue tonight to talk about another of the factors that I like very much and I'm interested in. Um, and I thought I would begin by telling you a story uh, about the Buddha. And I like this story very much. Uh, because for me, the story points, points to the paradox of practice. And one of the words that keeps coming up for me this week in my heart and mind is paradox or paradoxical. Uh, that the teachings or what we're paying attention to at times is paradoxical. And it's not a, a complicated paradox, but we're not sometimes familiar with being comfortable with paradox. Because ordinary life, reality, we think, oh, there's this and that. And so to put this and that together is not the, the usual. Or, or we think, oh, this is how it goes, not this way. And so when it goes this way, we think, oh, it's not that way. And, and we, keep, we divide a little bit. And so what I love is the Buddha's willingness to let reality reveal itself to him. And, and the story, actually I found a few different versions of the story that I had. And, um, and, and the story is when he's practicing, the Buddha was beautifully devoted to waking up. I mean, beautifully devoted to waking up, to discovering what he sought which was a freedom that he 
I, I don't know the right word, intuitive, intu, in, in, intuited? No, that's not the word I want. That he, he had some idea about in an intuitive way. He said, oh, there's something here. And people kept saying, no, 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 that's not, you can't, here's what you can get. Here's where you can go. And he would say, no, there's some, what I'm seeking, this is not it. And, but he practiced with people who were the, the best teachers that he could find because he was totally open to learning. And he wanted to see what, okay, show me the way. Show me how to wake up. Show me how to be free. And so he, all, and he practiced in a variety of ways and practices, some of which was very severe, very ascetic. And he, he was not a lightweight about this kind of stuff. If people said, oh, here's what you do, here's how you practice, he gave himself to the practice. So part of the story or the myth is that he was living on one grain of rice a day during this ascetic period, which is not a lot of food. <laughs> and he, and he almost died, it said. You know, the, the gods looked down and saw he was, and they couldn't tell if he was dead or alive because he'd been practicing so severely. And then something happened, and he realized, he said, and he, and he thought to himself, and this is important to me, to my mind, because sometimes we have, oh, the Dharma is about, oh, no thinking. That's, that's, the re you know, that's when I'll really be meditating. But paradoxically, maybe thoughts are part of practice at times, and maybe an important part. So the Buddha was doing his practice, his sincere practice, and he had a thought. He said, whatever a practitioner has felt in the past or will feel in the future or feels now, painful, racking, piercing feeling to do, uh, due to striving, it can equal this but not exceed what I am experiencing. Like basically saying, oh, this is, this, this is, this is a lot of pain. This is as good as it gets on the pain level, right? <laughs> and he says, by, but, but by this grueling penance, I have attained no distinction, distinction awakening. I've attained no freedom. I've attained no distinction worthy of the noble one's knowledge and vision. Might there be a different way to enlightenment? So I'm going to say that last line again because that's an important line for, for us. Might there be a different way to enlightenment? <clears throat> and so he, he considers like, okay, this isn't going to where I'm wanting it to go or hoped it would go. Or, you know, and they're saying maybe this is it. And so then he thought, he thought, he recalled Right, he's still thinking, right? Like the bad news for meditators, he's thinking. He's thinking, I, I recall once when my father, the Sakyan prince, king, was working and I was sitting in the cool shade of the rose apple tree. So he's sitting in his father's garden and he's remembering being a boy, right? 
So I was sitting in the cool shade of a rose apple tree, and then, quite withdrawn from sensuality, withdrawn from unskillful mental qualities, I entered and remained in the first jhana. And first jhana is, uh, um, is the first level of deep concentration, okay, of deep absorption. So he says, quite withdrawn from sense pleasures or you know, unskillful mental qualities, I entered and remained in this first level of meditation, of, of composure. And he, said, he says, rapture and pleasure born from withdrawal, accompanied by, by thought and evaluation, uh, meaning he understood what was happening as it was happening. And he thought, could that be the way to awake awakening? Could that be the way to awakening? I want to see, I have different versions here. Okay, I'm going to give you this other, yeah, it's the same. Can I, I thought, might that be the way to enlightenment? Then following on, on this memory, right? So he's remembering being a boy, sitting in the rose apple tree, his father's orchard, his father's actually working. And he's, and all of a sudden he enters a state of uh, samadhi, which is what I'm going to talk about tonight. And, and he recognizes it now as an adult. And he thinks, might this be the way to awakening? Might this be the way to enlightenment? And then following up on that memory, there, there came the recognition that this was the way to awakening. That this was the way to awakening. And I thought, why am I afraid of such pleasure? Because it was very pleasurable. He said, why am I afraid of such pleasure? It is pleasure that has nothing to do with sense pleasure or desires or unwholesome things. And then I thought, and we can be happy he had this thought, I am not afraid of such pleasure, for it has nothing to do with sense desire or unwholesome things. And my heart told me I was not afraid. So this is the Buddha's experience of samadhi that he's describing. And that this samadhi being one of the components that leads to awakening in his experience. <clears throat> and I like the quote because it's surprising. It's not what we expect, right? It's like, you know, if you're the Buddha getting enlightened, you're not supposed to think about anything and everything disappears or whatever. But it's describing the reality of the process of awakening <clears throat> and the recognition that can happen, boom, oh, this is the way. And that the Buddha knew and he trusted. And he had, and it wasn't the first time he had that experience, and he would trust an experience and see how far it took him and then keep and go from there. <clears throat> and the word samadhi that's being described is a beautiful, excuse me, is a beautiful state of heart and mind, samadhi. It, um, it's one of the factors of awakening. 
And um, we were talking a little in the teacher room about the factors which we've been talking about all week and talking about, oh, do they, uh, how do they, how do they arise and what are they and all that kind of stuff. But we also talked about the fact that they impact one another. Like part of what brings samadhi is mindfulness, is investigation, is energy, is a sense of happiness and tranquility. And then the samadhi, it's the coming together of some of the factors bring the samadhi factor, which one of the ways samadhi is characterized, it's by the, un, the unification of, and I'm going to, this is a bad way to say it Buddhist, but it's a Eugene way to say it to himself. It's, it's a unification of consciousness so that it's, and this is an okay Buddhist way, undistracted. That consciousness becomes unified as we're practicing. And that unity is unfamiliar to us in this kind of way. And, and it's not totally unfamiliar or anything like that. And we all know something about samadhi. And here, let, let me say this. The way uh, samadhi is generally translated is concentration. Right? It's the factor of concentration. And, um, and I don't like that word, even though it's a really good word. But it's, the reason I don't like it is because um, there's often some baggage with the idea of, oh, you should concentrate which is how it's often presented to us, like, especially as a kid, you need to concentrate or you're never going to get that test or that material or you're never going to figure out what you're trying to figure out unless you learn how to concentrate better. And, and so often concentration is related to some kind of tension or stiffness or rigidity or, you know, a little bit of muscle tightness. And so I don't like it, the word for that also. There is, depending on how old you are, and you know, for people who are coming around after World War II, concentration was related to concentration camps, which I don't, I never researched how it, they came to be called that, but that's what they were called in English. And so that's an, that had a very negative connotation for good reason. And so, <clears throat> and so, the, and actually what concentration means, concentric, is really pointing at a, a bringing together of centeredness. A bringing together of centeredness or a wholeness or a completeness or a sense of being unified or undistracted or collected or composed in a certain way. And you can just reflect a little bit about when your heart and mind has been composed here as you've practiced. When it's not been in three different places or four different places, but it's been in one place or no place that includes everything kind of open, and I'll talk about different kinds of concentration or samadhi.
And so part of what concentration means is pointing as, oh, what does it mean to be here, right? And we've used, we've all used this word and pointed at being here or being here now. And both those words, here and now, point to a certain simplicity of presence. Like we're here. We're not everywhere else. We're not all over the place. We're right here. Or we're here now. We're not in last week or last month or next moment or dinner or something. The nowness of and hereness is being pointed at at one of the qualities of heart and, and mind that we're both um, seeding, nurturing, cultivating, and recognizing the simplicity of being would be another way I would say it in the kind of Eugene language. The simplicity of being. <clears throat> and so to what does it mean to be here, you know, to, to come together in this place? And these are all, I'm using different definitions of the word concentration, which means to bring or draw into a common center or to come together into one place. So a sense of simplicity, isness, oneness, hereness, nowness. And I'm using different words to point to the same state of consciousness that we're talking about, that we're calling concentrated or samadhi. To bring parts of anything into closer union. And then this is somehow something I really enjoy every time I see it and remember it. So concentra, concentra, concentrate, right? There's a word in there, C-E-N-T-R, C-E-N-T-R, concentra. Any word with this C-E-N-T-R points, equals, means a point around which a circle is drawn. A point around which a circle is drawn. Now that's a very beautiful understanding of concentration. A point of knowing around which a circle is drawn, meaning the point isn't the end of the knowing. The concentration could include everything or anything it's aware of, but it's centered in this way, just like like consciousness is a little bit centered in each body sitting here, but it's not the limit of consciousness. I hope that's a little helpful <laughs> or a little clear. <laughs> uh, but it's, I'll, I'll say it again, yeah, consciousness is not limited, but it's centered here. Hmm. So samadhi, it said, combines mindfulness, alertness, and ardency. And again, these are, I, I love, I like all of those. So there's the knowing factor, 
the awareness. And then there's some the energetic factor, the alertness. <clears throat> and then there's the ardency, which is the heart factor in my definition of that word and understanding that there's a certain kind of what Gill talked about is wholeheartedness this morning. There's a wholeheartedness in relationship to what we're being mindful, heartful, bodyful of. <clears throat> and so let me say a little bit about some different kinds of samadhi because there's um, uh, in the way I'm thinking about it today, there's a few different styles of samadhi practice. And the, the style that I know quite well and practiced a lot as a young man and still practice, but uh, really did very diligently, is what the Buddha did and what we teach with, in terms of mindfulness of breathing. Like if you want to check out a certain style of samadhi practice, which is taking one thing and devoting yourself to the knowing of that in a very relaxed, energized, interested, curious, calm way, the breath. And that means staying with the breath or being with the breath. And, and, uh, and, and so it's a one-pointed concentration that's being uh, nurtured or practiced as part of the understanding of how to practice in this way where the samadhi gets very strong. And it's the active style of samadhi. You're doing something. You're being mindful. You're being aware of the breath. And that's it. And you can let everything else go to the background for a sitting or a day or a week or a month or six months. And just do mindfulness of breathing as you're sitting, as you're walking, as you're eating, etc., etc. And this is one of the styles of practice that is totally beautiful and valid and powerful. And I, I like that kind of practice. I did that for many years and studied with some teachers who really emphasized that. And it was, it was beautiful. I learned a lot, a lot from them. And, and, um, <clears throat> uh, and it's, in the story, that's the practice the Buddha did the night he woke up, was he did mindfulness of breathing. And then one of the other things I always liked about the mindfulness of breathing was after the Buddha was awakened, totally free, totally, you know, serious awakening, meaning it's, I might have said this in this room, I can't remember, but he, like they say, oh, one person every 5,000 years, and he was the guy who had that kind of awakening. That's a good awakening. And, um, but even after that awakening, he continued to practice mindfulness of breathing. So I always thought that was fascinating, that there's something there in the 
relaxing into the simplicity of just this one thing, one simple, normal, ordinary human phenomena that we call breath that's here while we're embodied and alive. And then there are other ways samadhi is also practiced. The word that when I was a young man that was used was kinika, kinika samadhi. And, and that's the samadhi that's not based on being with the same thing moment by moment by moment by moment. It's based on being awake, aware, moment by moment by moment by moment of whatever's appearing, whatever's displaying itself in consciousness. So it could be the breath or body sensation or feeling or emotion or thought or quiet or openness might be what one is aware of at that time or simplicity might be what one is aware of at that moment, depending on what's the predominant phenomena displaying itself. And, and, the, and, my own ex, and the samadhi is, and that's why the point around which a circle is drawn is a beautiful understanding of concentration. Because we tend to, and I sure did, think of concentration as being like plugged into one thing, and we and we and I didn't quite see how I don't know the right word to use for this how uh, concentration could be totally open and still be concentrated even though the phenomena changes. That the state of consciousness that is knowing, that's described in the seven factors, oh, that has its own presence. And concentration is part of that. And so the concentration is here, whether we go vump to the one thing, or whether we go like this, and we're here, for moment by moment by moment to whatever phenomena shows itself, expresses itself, presents itself in body and heart and mind. But the state of consciousness is centered, con-centered, with center. And so while you're here, you can experiment, if you wish, to see, to play a little bit with either one or both at times. Like if you want to try the staying with the breath, do it all day tomorrow and see what happens. Like really do it. And by really do it, I'm giving a little vump, uh, which is not an English word at all. Um, it's a Eugene word, but it's, it's an expression of a certain kind of energy that's included with the mindfulness, with the awareness, and with the center itself. And, and the other words that I like, I know I wrote them down somewhere there in my mind, but I just want to see what else I said to myself. 
but I have too many words so I can't find them. Um, so it's not, it, here, here, let me say it this way. Um, um, especially the, when you're taking a single object like mindfulness of breath, um, there's a quality of will, will, W-I-L-L, that can arise that's very helpful as part of practice. You, you exert your will you do the meditation in that way. You stay with the breath. And you can be um, uh, fierce about that, about your commitment to it, about your devotion to the breath, because you want to get as close to the breath as possible. I mean, you, and you don't want to miss a breath, and which you know, if you're listening and you, you haven't had that experience, that's an interesting experience to sit for 10 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour, a couple hours, three hours, and stay with the breath the whole time. It's a very intimate experience. It's a very potent experience in terms of concentra, concentrating. And it's a little why Gil last night when he was, or this morning he was encouraging the samadhi factor. He said, oh, it, it, he said something. I don't remember quite what you said, but it was something about uh, sacredness in practice. And, it's, and it is part of one of the ways that a certain sacredness or divinity starts to display itself because of the devotedness and sincerity and wholeheartedness of the practitioner and their relationship just with one simple thing called the breath. And then the breath, here I, I was gonna censor myself, but I won't. It blows your mind sometimes, meaning it shows you things you didn't know were possible just from being with the breath about the nature of reality. And here, this is a little example, just teeny. It wasn't anybody I'd been talking to about samadhi, but I got a note from my yogi today um, who's just doing her practice. And she said, I'm having, to use your word, talking about me, a wild, I am having wild experiences. And it's like my ego, question mark, self, question mark, thinking mind, question mark, goes away. And I have only sensation. Even my body seems to dissolve. But yet I feel everything. So that's a little kind of beautiful understanding of some of what can happen with certain levels of samadhi that we might not know or might not expect. And I don't have it here, but I, I did see some, uh, uh, some stuff I'd written when I was doing what I call serious samadhi practice with this one teacher. And, and it, was, it, was, it had a wow to it, no doubt about it. It was, wow, this is kind of wild. Oh yeah, I remember that, I remember this. Because um, the samadhi brings this, helps this unification happen. It's 
part of what samadhi is, and then it brings more. All these components start landing together. And again, this is just me. This is not from the Buddha, but reality is just wild. And, and as we learn about it, it keeps showing us all kinds of things. And here's, here's where I, I relate to the Buddha, how he talked about it. Um, let's see if I can remember the exact quote. I remember what I want to say, but I'm trying to remember the context he said this in. Um, uh, uh, it's a teaching he does all the time, but basically he said, he, he said um, something to the effect, um, uh, this is what I teach, meaning the Four Noble Truths. He's, oh, it says, it's a handful of leaves. That's what I wanted to remember. That's the story. The Buddha picks up a handful of leaves, right? <laughs> My version. Um, and he says to the practitioners, um, uh, what's greater, uh, the leaves in my hand or the leaves on the trees in the forest? Which are greater? And the practice, you know, what would you say? Right? I mean, the practitioners were cool. They said, the leaves in the forest are greater than the leaves in your hand. And he said, good, you got that, okay. He said, what I teach is like the leaves in my hand. What I know is like the leaves in the forest. And then what I teach is suffering, cause of suffering, cessation of suffering and the path that leads to this freedom. But he knew a lot because, I don't have a good because answer, but my thought is that he'd explored human reality, human consciousness quite thoroughly. And that exploration took him to a freedom that nobody had named, seen, named, taught for, it said, a long time. <clears throat> so so um, this one practice of being mindful of the breathing, very powerful, beautifully powerful. And it means wholehearted or commit yourself or devote yourself or and I'm using different words because the different words will resonate with different people you know so devote yourself or commit yourself or give yourself to the mindfulness of breathing and see what happens or be fierce about it for, for a day and see what happens or even be fierce for two sittings and see what that's like. Because not only is there this quality of samadhi which is nurtured by our intention and our commitment and our devotion, it's nurtured, nurtured by that, but also you learn so much about the meditative process in the attempt to give oneself completely. That's a beautiful, gift for you, right? Because, you, you know, 
mostly, we can't do it. And in the not being able to do it, we learn how to do it. And then we learn something more about the Dharma, which is, oh no, it's not about being perfect. It's about a realness or a liveness that is human, meaning we don't know and we learn and we try and we, and then, oh, something happens and then we know something more and we're not done. And then the other style that I'm mentioning of samadhi, the what I'm calling the receptive style, which is not about just being here with one thing, but just being here with what is here, moment by moment by moment. And you notice I, and I think other people have said something similar, I keep saying, oh, moment by moment by moment. And um, uh, <laughs> I hope that's helpful. Uh, I really like that I'm saying that because it's, again, pointing to the intimacy with the reality that's happening. It's not like, oh, we pay a little attention and then, you know, go somewhere else, do something else. So let's go... Let's go, you know, take a hike or let's take photos now or let's, you know, go bowling for a while. You know, the moment by moment by moment is pointing at a samadhi quality of hereness that continues to be here. It has consistency. And that's a beautiful uh, word in relation to samadhi, consistency. And people use different words when talking about the development of samadhi or the, or the um, arousing of the samadhi factor. Uh, some people say, oh, be totally persistent or be consistent. And I a little more like the words devoted or or um, close to, stay close to the moment of reality, even right now. And just whatever you're aware of, stay close to this moment. And even with it changing, stay, let the knowing be close to here, to what's here. And that consistency has a certain what I would call vitality or strength or power in it, that becomes one of the beautiful components of the factors of awakening that of course supports all the other factors. And um, somebody was reminding me I should say something a little bit about um, daily practice, you know, and samadhi, because we all know about samadhi. We all, everybody here concentrates at times. 
And we're used to concentrating when there's something to concentrate on, right? Like, we're good at concentrating on really good movies, right? It's not something you have to work at, right? Everybody got that, right? You're not trying to concentrate on the movie. You're, you're there. Or, you know, that's another version of here. You're there with the movie. And that's what's happening. The movie, the knowing of it, and the consciousness that's knowing it. Right? Or the other experience, sometimes food. We're just, that's it. That's all that's happening is our food. And we're eating it. We're not thinking about things. We're not distracted. We're not... And, and the, those are all good examples. Or, or sometimes our work, we, we get very concentrated. We get very centered in it. We get very close to it. We're not distracted. We're not doing three things at once, hopefully. And so it's not a quality of heart and mind that we're totally uh, unfamiliar with. But we're not so familiar with being undistracted or unified in this way with reality displaying itself moment by moment by moment, whether it's the reality of the breath or the reality of multiple different things that happen. And so we're, we want to, first of all, um, you and you can find to experiment and see you can you can make a lot of effort to be concentrated that's fine you can do that and see what that does see how it works or what works or what doesn't and then do it be give yourself to it fully you can do that and then you might also look at oh how does relaxation support the concentration the samadhiness of experience? Or how does tranquility support the samadhiness of experience? Or how does openness or how does intimacy support the samadhiness of moment by moment knowing of the breath or of multiple phenomena? And the simplicity of concentration, of samadhi, is um, partly not so easy for us because we're much more enchanted by complexity. We're, we're, that's part of our training, you know. Big experiences or big emotions or big feelings or something, you know, or good or bad, like that, though that catches our attention more. Simplicity, we're not used to moving closer to what's simple. And yet, Buddhism is encouraging us, the teachings, the practice is encouraging us to be investigative, curious, interested in. Oh, what is this that's just sitting here? What is this? And the what is this asks for our wholeheartedness as well as our, our energies and, our, and a certain kind of 
tranquility that allows us to give ourselves even more fully to the moment, moment, moment of the thisness that's being pointed at, that's sitting right here. <clears throat> we, we, yeah, we've had good training working with complexity, with complication, with drama, and it's sometimes surprising. One of the surprises of samadhi is things get simpler and simpler and simpler and, and the staying here gets stronger or stronger or stronger and it's more consistent over time. And there's different ways a little bit that we talk about samadhi and that we've we've all talked about a little bit. One is, you know, you could be aware from above and be aware of all the things that are happening. And I like to encourage the movement into the experience, the knowing it through the experience itself, right? Like the body. I mean, we all know there's a body sitting here, right? I, I hope in your seat. But that's one level of knowing. But the knowing by feeling your body or feeling what's here, that's a different kind of knowing. That's a more direct knowing of the experience or, or the various ways we could point at that. And I like that that's important and that's pointed at in Buddhism. And I have a, a story from Sansanim, who was a Zen teacher who I met once, maybe twice, I can't remember. I know once for sure. And he was, you know, I liked him very much. He was a little bit short and stout and he had his a stick and he was teaching and, and talking. He kept, and, and, and then he would do things, he'd say, what is this? If you say it's a glass of water, I'll throw it on you. <laughs> if you say it's not a glass of water, I'll throw it on you. <laughs> and that would be his teaching, <laughs> which I just mimicked. <laughs> but he said something talking about about samadhi and awareness. He said, human beings understand too much. Human beings understand too much, but what they understand is just somebody's opinion. Like a dog barking. Americans say, woof, woof. Korean dogs say, mung, mung. <laughs> Polish dogs say, how, how? So which dog barking is correct? <laughs> this is human beings barking, not dog barking. If dog and you become one, if dog and you become 100% one, then you know the sound of barking. This is Zen teaching. Become one. 
<laughs> and so that kind of samadhi of staying with the experience, whatever the experience may be, but of course the breath is an easy one to use, become one. The knowing of it and the experience are not so separate. And, this, and then the letting that be consistent or have duration or continue so that we're not like this, but we start to go like this with the experience that's being known and investigated and there's an energy there that allows, it's not an energy we're doing, it's an energy that arises, that allows this to continue and a kind of joy that comes naturally. You don't create the joy or the tranquility, it comes, it arises as part of the fabric of practice of awakening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.